What a great day to be here as we kick off this new series. A great opportunity we're going to have later this afternoon as we do our trunk retreat out here, three to five, and you know, we in encouraging the one. Okay, let me just slow down because it's eleven o'clock. <laughs> three to five, we've got trunk retreat here. The reason we're doing it in the middle of the day is because of a philosophy that I really believe in very strongly, and that is for so many years growing up. Uh, this is an eleven o'clock special. Is uh, I grew up in the church, and uh, we could never celebrate, you know, Halloween. And so uh, we, do, we would do harvest festivals. But when we did harvest festivals, the only costumes you were allowed to attend with would be Noah's Ark animals. And so uh, that's what we, so we got pretty creative when, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex and all that kind of stuff kind of came out. Uh, but it, it, it got to, as I got older, I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, this is the one night, the one night a year, where people who don't believe in Christ come knocking on your door, and it was the Christians' doors who are dark. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so as a church, we've always, you know, encouraged people, stay home, get the big candy bar, be known as that house, put a little invite on there, and experience relationship with your neighbors, because the point is helping people know Jesus, which is why we do our trunk or treat, three to five, so you can enjoy that here and go home. So we'll be able to do that. So I'm excited that we get to be a church that continues to focus on people who are far from God, which is our vision to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. All right, enough said, 11 o'clock. We all like stories. All of us love stories. We love to hear people tell stories, unless the stories drag on and on, then we don't want to hear much more. But we, in general, we love stories. We love stories of adventure. We love story of, of romance. We love you know, stories that are, that are dramatic in nature. Uh, and many of them are from books, but we also know that we are drawn to drama. You ever notice that? How, how we're just piqued with the interest of drama. It doesn't matter whether a friend is some, somebody comes up and says, have you heard about? And you're like, oh, got to listen in, you know, whether that may be. How do I know this? Watch the news. Okay. Everything is supposed to be sensationalized, dramatic to try to get us involved in what's going on. And, and uh, I see this all the time on social media. You know, the ones that go viral, you know, are the ones that are the most sensationalized or dramatic. And so we want to find ourselves involved in something like that. Now, as kids, uh, you may have experienced, or maybe as parents, you have done this, where you read to your kids, you know, at nighttime. And you have these stories that they kind of go through, and there's a routine and putting the child down, you know, that maybe you experienced when they were really, really young. And uh, it doesn't really matter what the words are, especially when they're little, right? Have you read, you know, Shel Silverstein stuff? There's some weird stuff, you know, that's in there. Or uh, a really popular book when they're really little is like Good Night Moon. Weird, okay? Just, just, just read it, you know. Um, or, uh, you know, what is it? The, the one that uh, talks about there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I guess she'll die. Yeah, you read that, you know, to your kids. Uh, that's weird, you know, as well. But there's something about stories. Now, as a kid, you know, um, I, I grew up uh, with my dad reading to me earlier on something called the Berenstein Bear books. Anybody ever heard of those? Anybody heard? Okay. You know, I didn't know if 11 o'clock years you know that. I still have the series, and uh, I read them now to my daughter, you know, at nighttime. And uh, yes, I do intentionally pick out the ones that she needs to work on, like no lying or stealing or good with finances. So yes, I can be a manipulative parent, you know, when it suits me. Uh, so, you know, reading those stories, you know, to her, uh, because it was something that was read to me. Growing up, uh, it was the Chronicles of Narnia. 
Chronicles of Narnia, my dad would read that to me, and we got to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and my, my mind was just captivated by the story of this magical world that could be on the other side of a closet. And so I remember at some times that my dad would leave, and I'd go to my closet, and I'd hit just to see if I could enter into another dimension, another world, and I could meet Aslan, and it would just be this incredible adventure. Why? Because we are drawn to stories. But the idea of story, you know, is, is, is also depicted in the, some of the best TV shows, right? That's what, more of our modern day experience of it. Or, or great movies, you know, from things like The Lord of the Rings to Gladiator to Braveheart to the 3,000 Marvel movies that independent, they have a story, but there's an overarching story. And I'm sure there's a lot of girly movies out there, but I don't know any of them. You know, so there's all these awesome stories, you know, that are interwoven through this. But the idea of story never started with us. It never started with us. It starts with God, because the beginning of our Bibles is the beginning of a story. Four words, in the beginning, God. And I know it's hard for us as Americans to realize this, but the story isn't about you. It's, it's, the story is actually not, not about me uh, directly. It's about us indirectly, but the story of God is a story from beginning of end. It's the same as your story. You have a beginning, you have a middle, and you do, yes, have an end to what is known as this life. Now, seven to eight years ago, our church did an entire year called The Story, where we uh, looked at God's upper story, and we looked at our involvement in what's called the lower story. Now, the reason that we're jumping into this is because over the last year and a half, I have come to strongly realize that many followers of Jesus, many Christian people um, don't know or probably are not as passionate about God's word as I believe that we're called to be. I've actually come to realize, and maybe even out of frustration, that we are, who are, again, followers of Christ seem to be more passionate about the stories or drama of politics, news, COVID, vaccines, masks, constitutional rights, and so on, instead of the story and the importance of God and his word as it pertains to its all. So my hope is that we would take this season, these next five weeks, including today, and we would begin to get reignited and repassionate about the story of God. Here's the coolest part. God involves us in this story. So let me give you some background for some of you who may not be aware of where in the world that we get this kind of Bible thing from. The, the 66 books that actually make up the story of God was written over a 1,500-year span by 40 different authors from every walk of life. It was written by kings and servants and poets, doctors, herdsmen, and even a tax collector. It was written on three different continents— Europe, Asia, and Africa in 16 different countries, and it was written in three original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It is the inspired word of God for no one, no person could have orchestrated that kind of event in history to put an incredible book together that has the same theme from beginning to end. In fact, the last book of the first part, known as the Old Testament, was finished about 330 years before the birth of Christ. Some of the books in the Old Testament came together because it documented true historic events, which is why it substantiates its accuracy, but it also included uh, poetry 
and songs and wise sayings and writings of prophets. These are the mouthpieces of God. The last 27 books of the Bible, known as the New Testament, was written over a much shorter period of time with fewer people. And its focus is on the life of Jesus, his spirit, the establishment of his church, and how Christianity spread across the known world. It was finalized in AD 90, but I need to help you understand the Bible is not a book completed in our lifetime from beginning to end. So you open the Bible, it's in the beginning. But then you get to the last book of the Bible, which is called Revelation. Revelation, as, long, as well as parts of the book of Daniel, are what's called apocalyptic literature. It's the apocalypse. It's the end times. And so here's what's fascinating is if you read the Bible, is that you and I are still living in Bible times. We have not reached Revelation yet. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, you notice that Acts doesn't have an ending point. It's the beginning of the church, and then it kind of, kind of trails off. It's like, well, what's next? You and I are what's next. That's what's fascinating. Now, in fact, here's what's important to know about the Bible is that you and I, we didn't have it in our hands for almost a thousand, for over a thousand years. And so the Bible was not actually put into print for the common person to be used until 1455 when the printing press was developed. In fact, it wasn't even in English, if you want to call the New King James, James Version English, if you like Romeo and Juliet, then you can identify with the King James Version, you know, in 1611. And so over a thousand years, how did people come to know, experience, and grow in their relationship with Christ apart from what this book is? Now, this is just a brief history, before I get a little bit too passionate right now, about how our Bible came about, but I still haven't explained to you what is it? What's in the Bible? Now, I want to make you familiar you know, with a group or company called the Bible Project. What they have done is masterful. They have taken seminary degrees, and they have boiled it down for simplistic, real truth that's accurate as it pertains to different sections of the Bible. And they've got a little two-minute section you know, that helps us to understand on a very high level what is the Bible. So let's go ahead and watch the screens with me now. So the Bible is one of the most influential books of all time, but what is it exactly? Yeah, some people treat the Bible like a divine behavior manual that dropped out of heaven. Others use it like a theology dictionary written to answer all of our questions about God. And others still think of it like a grab bag of spiritual one-liners and inspiring stories. But here's the thing. The Bible isn't written as a rule book or theology dictionary or even as a collection of inspirational writings. Then what is the Bible? Well, open up the Bible to page one and read the opening words. In the beginning. Now, turn to the last chapter of the Bible where you can read this. And they reigned forever and ever. Okay, so the Bible's telling a story from beginning to end. Yeah, it's one epic narrative about how God has appointed humanity as his partners to oversee this amazing world. It's about how we've ruined that partnership and how God is restoring us and our world through Jesus. Okay, one story, but there's a lot going on. Many plots, many characters, all written in many different books. But once you see how every book has a careful literary design, you won't get lost. And you can see how it fits into the overall storyline. There are also important repeated themes that weave through the entire biblical story. Yeah, like the covenants that God makes with people. Or the hope for a human who will confront evil. Or how God's justice will one day make all things right. And every theme culminates in the story of Jesus. 
There are also a lot of strange words in the Bible, words we don't use in normal language. But when we take time to understand them, we discover profound ideas that contribute to the overall biblical story. So it takes work to know how to read the different types of literature in the Bible. But once you do learn how, you'll discover that the Bible is a work of literary genius that can transform how you live and how you think about everything. And it does transform our lives. And, and yet it is a little bit different than a normal book that you would read. You'd read in the beginning and you think, I'm going to read in Genesis and start reading through. And then you get to this book called Exodus. You're like, wow, this is getting really awesome and historic. And this is amazing. And then you get to Leviticus and you're like, okay, genealogies. That's, yeah, amen to that. And then you get to Numbers and you're like, I'm out. You know, uh, unless you're an accountant of some kind, you know, you just walk through this and you're just like, okay. So if you're new to the Bible, we always encourage you is understand the Old Testament helps us understand who God is, but you and I are New Testament people. If we lived in the Old Testament, the Old Testament would have a different or deeper or different meaning as it pertains to being a Jewish person or just living in that time frame. But we are New Testament people. That's the part of the Bible that we are actually living in, which actually gives us a leg up to understand that the story of God's word points to Jesus. That's the point. See, Jesus, so many people say, well, you know, hey, um, now all scripture, all scripture is important. Yes, but it's not equally important. The New Testament for New Testament people is far more important than different passages of the Old Testament. Old Testament helps us understand who God is, helps us understand how God's works, but his whole point is to point us to Jesus. Everything is to point us to Jesus. Here, here's, here's how we know this. Jesus said it. Uh, let me remind you that Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and he says this in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures. You're searching the entire Old Testament because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. That's the purpose. You refuse to come to me to receive this life. See, with the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, were continuing to make it all about rules. They were continuing to make it all about following these set of laws. And they were forgetting the whole point is to connect to the person who created the laws, not to the laws in and of themselves. For when you look right to the laws and you forget the person who created the laws, do you know what it's always going to equal? Rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And so when we are people who are focused on the rules of God without the relationship with God, we miss the entire point, which is why the Pharisees, the religious leaders, miss Jesus who was right in front of them. So we've got to go back to say this is what it's about. See, our faith in the Bible points to Jesus. Now, I grew up in an age and a day where this phrase would be thrown out, that we want to be known as people of the book. I would strongly disagree with that because that's now, uh, it's not, how do I say this? It's not biblical. We're not supposed to be people of the book. We're supposed to be people of God. We're supposed to be Jesus people who follows God's word, which is the book. The book points us to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say it's all about the book. If it was all about the book, then we would have had the book from the very beginning, but over 1,100 years passed before it was actually in our hands. And there's a big difference between elevating one over the other. This is what uh, Jesus says, or John tells us, in John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book. 
the book of John. But these are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's not just fire insurance. It's actually life on this side of eternity. Uh, the other way that John says it is, is Jesus is the book personified. Jesus is the word made flesh. So John opens up his book with the same words that we find at the beginning of Genesis, where he tells us in the New Testament, in the beginning, and he says was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John is a literary genius, because that word that was originally written in Greek holds two meanings. To the Jewish person, the word represents God. Like if you're capitalizing word, you're saying that this is coming from the mouth of God. And so it's, a, it's pronounced logos or logos. But to the Greek mind, it's taking chaos and making order out of chaos. And so what they're saying is that you see all this chaos that's happened. Do you know who makes order out of chaos? It's the logos. It's the word. And guess what? I'm about ready to blow your minds. Let's take a look at verse 2. He. What do you mean he? The word is God. The word is taking chaos and making, making, it, making order out of it. And you're saying that the word, the logos, is a person? That's, that's crazy. You're, you're actually making all of this creation and everything out of a person. He says, yes, Jesus existed in the beginning with God. I was talking to somebody at the last service because they didn't have time in the other services, but you're 11 o'clock and you're special. So um, at the very beginning, it says, God created man. Let us create man in our image. Us? Our? God was there. The Spirit was hovering over the waters, and Jesus has been there from the beginning. That's what's cool when you go back and look at it from a New Testament mindset all the way back to the beginning, which is what John's helping us to understand. Nothing was created except through Jesus. The word Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and Jesus' life brought light to everyone. The light, which is Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So when we read this book, it is alive and it is active. We are connecting to a person. Otherwise, when you connect to pieces on a paper, well, let me rephrase. When you connect it to words on your digital screens, you know, as it pertains to the word of God, if you miss that you're connecting to the person, you've missed the point. The word is there to help us to connect to the person, to understand who God is in order to understand what it means to be in our lives. In fact, let me remind you, it's the book, the Bible, that reminds us that our faith is not based on the book, but the book points to the, our faith in Jesus. In fact, the most important thing the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament as he's writing letters to these churches, they didn't have the book in their hands, these churches in their hands, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what you passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. See, if you read in the Old Testament, one of the reasons the Pharisees were getting it wrong is because they were making it all about the rules instead of about the person. Galatians, even in the New Testament, if you really want to do a deep dive, you'll understand that all of these Jewish people kept trying to put additional things on people in order for their connection to be with God. And he says, no, here's what's most important as it pertains to the scriptures. Now, what is the scriptures that he's referring to? The Old Testament. That's what he's talking about in context. Why? There's no New Testament when he's writing this letter. So he's writing to the scriptures of the Old Testament that he's saying the Old Testament 
is what proves to you that you and I can't get to heaven without something greater than ourselves. The whole point of the law is to show us that we can't get there with the law, that we need something more which reveals our sin, our inadequacy, and Jesus is the one. And so he says, Christ died for our sins just as the Old Testament scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Old Testament scripture says. See, God teaches us through his word and grace, through his word, grace and truth. That's what he's teaching us. So John continues in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Why? Full of grace and truth. Not grace without truth and not truth without grace. In fact, the Bible speaks for itself. Uh, uh, Paul has an, uh, has an apprentice, a Padawan, a son in the faith called Timothy. It is one of the most famous passages that's talked about as it pertains to God's word. And he's writing to him and he says this, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know that they are true for you know that you can trust those who taught you. He's referring to his mother and grandmother who taught him the Old Testament scriptures. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you wisdom. That's why we're calling this word to the wise. They've given you wisdom. What's the purpose of this wisdom? What's the point that your mother and grandmother gave you this wisdom? To receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. That's the why behind the what. Again, the Bible points us to Jesus. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Church. What's the rock? Jesus. You know, when the storms come, what am I basing my life on? It's on Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. And it is useful to teach us what is true to help us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, if we're not grounded, we will find ourselves being shaped by our culture or we'll be shaped by our family of origin. We need something beyond us to help us in this life, in this season, and in this situation. Because morality and truth is relative. We know that. What is true in our country is not true in another country. What's true in their country is not true in our country. So how do we know what's true? Well, at least we all can agree that murdering innocent people is wrong. No, ethnic cleansing in our generation is still a thing. You know, it's, been, it's going on and on and on that people think that that's okay. And so you're like, there's gotta be something beyond us to help us in this season and situation. And it has to be Jesus. And it has to be an understanding of Jesus through the lens of Jesus through his word that allows us to find the baseline that we need in order to navigate the waters of life. Otherwise, you're left to your family of origin and how you feel. And if you live your life by how you feel, no wonder it's going to change from generation to generation to generation. Jesus, through his word, gives us life. He gives us life. But unfortunately, that's not what a lot of Christians are known for. Uh, let me read this, though, you know, to you. I want, just for a second, I want this to wash over you. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to see the power of God's word in your life. 
what, what happens? If you open up your Bibles, you know, uh, you'll see right in the very, very middle of it, uh, you'll usually land in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, you'll land on chapters uh, 119. It's the longest chapter of any chapter we have in our Bibles, and it is 100% based on the importance of God's word in our lives. And if you read that, they actually put it, you'll see some additional words that are highlighted after every like six or seven verses. And it, what it is, is it's the Hebrew alphabet in order for us to memorize, or the Hebrew kids, to be able, Jewish kids, to be able to memorize different passages. It'd be like if you and I wrote a chapter in the Bible, and we said A, and we would say six verses B, and then we'd just give kind of that mnemonic, you know, way to, to be able to remember things. So let me just read to you about when you're thinking about connecting to the person who is God made possible by Jesus Christ, let this wash over you. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in its paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you, for, for, thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect in your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. See, our culture is going to continue to try to navigate and try to teach you, which is why it's so important to know when you connect to Christ that the word helps us in all areas and situations as we're grounded in him. And so through the lens of Christ, because rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. That's the way it happens all the time. If you don't connect it to the person and the relationship, then all of a sudden that becomes life transforming and it makes an incredible difference in our lives. See, God helps us in our word, through his word, what is wrong in our lives and in the world, which is what we're gonna be talking about even next week. You're like, we're gonna look at God's word, the person of Jesus represented his word. What is his word gonna say about rebuking and correcting? Ooh, that's gonna be a fun one. It's not fun unless you realize, wait a minute, which parent do you know does not rebuke and correct their child? All of a sudden you're like, yeah, there better be some rebuking and correcting because you love your child. And if I'm in relationship with God, then my connection with God as his child, there should be rebuke and discipline and correction because he loves me that much. And all of a sudden it's different. So now, now Christianity is not about this rules. It's about this relationship and all these things enhance the relationship that takes place. But here's one of the things that we as followers of Christ miss on a regular basis. And that is the vast majority of the New Testament, I'm talking high, high percentage, is written to followers of Jesus Christ. It's written to the church. It's written to those people. But as church people, we have a tendency to take some of those passages and think that it applies to the non-Christian world. Because we're upset, hurt, you know, uh, uh, irritated that we're no longer a Christian nation as if we're supposed to be God's holy chosen people as Americans and not the Jewish people. We think we're supposed to take this word and apply it to them. And it makes no sense. 
It makes no sense whatsoever. Why are we taking what's supposed to be applied to the Christian and trying to expect non-Christians to which they've never signed up for to actually be able to apply? It'd be like if you got an email, right? Because we don't do this personally. If you got an email or a social media post that said you failed a class and you're like, I, I didn't even sign up for the class. How do I fail for a class I didn't sign up? Well, you didn't turn in your assignments and you didn't show up to class, and you didn't do what you're supposed to do. And you're like, but I never signed up for the class. Why are you judging me on a class that I never signed up for? And the non-Christian world's looking at us going, what in the world is wrong with you? I don't ascribe by that because I don't believe in Jesus. And so we've got to understand that. The second thing I wish we would get to understand, this is where I get my blood starts to boil, and guys on staff know this as well, is that uh, do you understand where our name even came from? Do you even know where Christianity came from? We were known in the book of Acts as people of the way. That was the name that we gave ourselves. Like, we're people of the way. Well, what's that? Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. But then you go on further in Acts, and all of a sudden, it was the non-Christian world who said, you guys, all you guys do is talk about and live like and share Jesus. You're those Christ people, because that's all you keep talking about. That's all you keep representing. That's all you keep sharing is Jesus. I know what we're going to label you. You're a bunch of Christians. The non-Christian world is who gave Christians the title of being Christians. What does the non-Christian world say about Christians today? I mean, we get so wrapped up into vaccine, no vaccine, who's in politics. We get so passionate about what's taking place or not taking place as it pertains to mass and all these things, and they're important but secondary always to the message of Jesus. The non-Christian world needs Jesus. That's what they're known for. You want to know what they think they're known for? I've asked people in our neighborhood, do you know what they say a Christian is? Someone who follows Trump. That's the standard. And they're like, I don't want to be that. I'm like, me neither. It has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. I'm never supposed to follow a person. I'm following Jesus. And the word points us to Jesus and to the non-Christian world. They need to hear us proclaim, be the light, and shine Jesus. Because that's what the word tells us to be. And that's what we're supposed to be. And so he equips us, and he prepares us through his word for the world. It's so fascinating that because his word is alive, and it is based on the person of Jesus, through God the Father, that the words of the Bible still apply today, thousands of years later. It's amazing to understand, to be like, yes, that's true north. That's the direction and so we need to be people who follow Jesus and who knows what God's word has to say on the subjects that we care about, which are secondary to our following of Jesus. And that's what we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at. What does it mean to be equipped and to follow and to be rebuked and to correct through his word as followers of a relational connection that we have with God? In fact, um, I and a few men, you know, the church have been reading this uh, book called Winning the War in Your Mind you know, by Craig Rochelle. And what I love about the book is uh, he says, you know, a lot of times we try to change our behavior. 
Like we don't like aspects. And so as Christians, we don't like some of the things that we continue to fall in the trap of sin and continue to do on a regular basis. And so we keep trying to do behavior modification and we find ourselves frustrated because it doesn't work. And that's because it doesn't ever start with the behavior. It starts with a thought. And what he says is, he goes, if you want to change your life, you got to change your behavior. If you want to change your behavior, you got to change your thoughts. And what does God's word have to say about that? It says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So what are the lies? What are the things that you are believing in your mind that leads to action that you need to replace with the truth of God's word out of your relationship with him? Because when you start to replace the lies or the misinformation or whatever it may be in your mind with the truth of God's word that is alive and active, it changes the behavior, thus changing our life. And that's my hope for you as it is for me. So where do we go from here? Simple. First step, make a regular habit of connecting to Jesus through his word. Followers of Christ aren't connecting to Jesus outside of Sunday. And we want to encourage you as strong as we can. Can we get into God's word? Because you're connecting to the person and the creator of the universe as you connect to his word. And so the ways to do that is you find a place. If you have a location, like mine is on my deck until it gets to be 25 degrees. So I can't finger, feel my fingers anymore because I, there's just something about being outside. Maybe it's for you, it's a, it's, a, it's a location in a bedroom somewhere. There's so many places. You gotta pick a place, you gotta pick a time. Some regular time that you're gonna engage with a person. I, I told you, it's said my wife and I have a weekly date but it doesn't mean I don't talk with her between that weekly date, okay? This is your weekly date with God. You're here. You're spending one hour a week. That's good. I said, but you need to keep connecting with him, you know, on a regular basis. And so what, what time can you do that on a regular basis? The other thing that we know is that you need a partner. You need somebody who's going to help keep you accountable to this. Anything successful being done, remember, it's relationship with God, not just a rules-oriented, so it's a we and God, not a me and God, and the way I'm successful is when I invite other people in the process. One of those ways is we have this daily time with God. We started at the very beginning of, uh, of the pandemic, and uh, we started doing, and we wanted to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through God's word. So I was asking you know, my assistant, Christine, I'm like, I wonder which books we've gone through, because it's been like a year and a half. And if you have followed along, it's 8.30 every single morning, Monday through Friday, and uh, it's on, on the Facebook page all day, even if you can't make that time. And it's a chance to connect with other people as we look into God's word. Here's what we've covered so far. We've gone through Ruth, Joshua, Mark, Acts, Romans, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, and we're finishing up Galatians this week. What a chance to be in God's word on a regular basis as we look at the context of what he's saying, and then also how does that apply to us being led by his spirit on a regular basis. The last thing I want to tell you is that for this series, we're putting together special devotionals. For this series, you can get it just on the front of our website, or you can get it from Sermon Resources, where every day, five days for five days a week, it's just five, ten minutes into God's word. It will guide you as we go through this series together, because we so want Jesus to be Lord and Savior of every area of your life. Because here's the reality. If you want a better marriage, bring Jesus and his word into your marriage. If you want to be a better parent, bring Jesus and his word. If you want to learn on your finances, bring Jesus and, and, and his word. If you want to help improve your hobbies or where you work or play, bring Jesus and his word into those things. It doesn't change the circumstances of what's taking place, but it will change the person who is you as you go through those circumstances, leaning upon him 
through his word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Pray that you would just lead and guide us right now. Help us in our hearts and mind to pick a place, a location, a time. Father, help us you know, just even just through your word to know where to start, what that looks like, or where to continue. I pray, Father, for just a renewed passion for you through your word as we go through this season that it would become our true north in the midst of a chaotic and ever-changing world that would be centered and grounded on you. Father, thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your truth that makes all this possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.